Will you take your Bibles and turn with us, please, to Job chapter 20. We're going to look at Job 20 and Job 21. We will have to look at each chapter, of course, briefly. But uh, we are looking at, of course, we are in the second round of speeches by Job's friends and Job's responses to them. And tonight we're looking at Zophar's second and final speech to Job in chapter 20. And then in chapter 21 of Job, uh, there will be Job's response. Um, let's read chapter number 20. And then when we, uh, we're not going to look at all these verses. We'll go back and look at just a few of them that we'll read. And I'll give you the gist of what Zophar is saying here. Then as we go through chapter number 21 and Job's response, we'll read the verses as we come to them. Job 20, the Bible says in verse 1, Then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon earth? that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Though his excellency, uh, though his excellency mount up to the heavens and his head reach unto the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. Uh, they which have seen him shall say, Where is he? He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision. Of the night, the eye also which saw him shall see him no more, neither shall his place any more behold him. His children shall seek to please the poor, and his hands shall restore their goods. His bones are full of the sin of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it still within his mouth, Yet his meat in his bowels is turned. It is the gall of asp within him. He has swallowed down riches, and he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. He shall suck the poison of asp. The viper's tongue shall slay him. He shall not see the rivers, the floods, the brooks of honey and butter. That which he labored for shall he restore and shall not swallow it down. According to his substance shall the restitution be, and he shall not rejoice therein, because he hath oppressed and hath forsaken the poor, because he hath violently taken away in the house which he builded not. Surely he shall not feel quietness in his belly, he shall not save of that which he desired. There shall none of his meat be left, therefore shall no man look for his goods. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. Every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. When he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. He shall flee from the iron weapon, and the bow of steel shall strike him through. It is drawn and cometh out of the body. Yea, the glittering sword cometh out of his gall. Terrors are upon him. All darkness shall be hid in his secret places, a fire not blown shall consume him. It shall go ill with him that is left in his tabernacle. The heaven shall reveal his iniquity, and the earth shall rise up against him. The increase of his house shall depart, 
and his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion of a wicked man from God and the heritage appointed unto him by God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Zophar is up to uh, his same bag of tricks. He's got the same thing in essence to say as he has said uh, before to Job. Again, this will conclude the second rounds of speeches, the second round of speeches by Job's three friends. Eliphaz gave his second round in Job chapter number 15, and he spoke from experience. In other words, he says, Job, I've experienced enough in life. I can diagnose your problem, and I can give you a solution. I can tell you what's wrong with you, and I can tell you how to make that right. I can tell you why you're suffering. You're suffering because you have sinned. Job's response covered two chapters, Job 17, 16 and 17. Job basically said, I have no one to defend me. I feel as though I am all alone. No one pleads my cause. That was in chapter 16. Then in Job chapter number 17, he felt that uh, he and his plight were hopeless and he had resigned to die. Bildad's second speech was Job 18. He argues from tradition. And then Job responded in chapter number 19. If you remember last week, we said that some believe. Now, I'm personally convinced that Job um, um, is at his lowest ebb, if you will, in chapter 3. Some believe in chapter 19. But even in his lowest, lowest ebb, God helps him. Remember? You remember back in chapter number 19, verse 25? You've heard this verse preached on before. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Out of his lowly place that he is, God helps him in these moments. Matter of fact, 25, 26, and 27 of that chapter, he really makes some astounding doctrinal statements. Here in Job 20 and 21, uh, Zophar's second speech and Job's response. Whereas Eliphaz, whereas he argues from experience, and Bildad uh, from tradition, Zophar argues from a legalistic point of view. And I think we all can agree that experience brings with it a lot of times a lot of help and aid. And even tradition can safeguard a lot of uh, bad situations. But I've never known anybody being helped by legalism. Nobody. And we think we're helped in the moment. But overall and in the long haul, there's no edification in it. There's pride in self that is found there. As a matter of fact, I've seen it breed arrogance and pride, haughtiness, even sometimes perhaps, perhaps blasphemy. But so far, he has a religious system. He's bought into it. He's bought into it. It's a set of rules. And if you, if you buy into the set of rules, then you think anybody that steps outside those rules and experience any type of hardship then it's because they've sinned against God. They've violated the set of rules. And so, Zophar, you remember we said when we first met him, as a matter of fact, when we introduced the book back the first of the year, you remember we said about Zophar is he only speaks twice and we're thankful. We almost blush while he's talking to his friend Job. He looks down his long nose at him, points his finger, has absolutely no understanding, no compassion um, for Job. And again, it's because he's violated the set of principles he believes in. Um, I, I love the way Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, defined 
his legalistic approach to Job. There's a lot of ways to define it. We preachers have defined it in many ways, but this is what he said. He said, here is Zophar. Here is Zophar. And here's Job. And when Job needed somebody to lend a hand, Zophar slaps him across his face and further wounds him. And that's what legalism will do for you and it'll do for me too. And I say to my detriment, I was caught up in that some years back. And, um, but here in chapter number 20, uh, we've already read the chapter. We're just going to pull a few of the verses out. And what he's saying is, Job, you're, you're wicked. And I'm going to teach you some lessons about a, a wicked man. Now, watch this in chapter number 20. Zophar, I may call him Zophran. I may have already done that. Did I do it? I was typing in my notes, and, uh, and I looked back up at some of my notes, and, and there was a red mark under it where the spell checker had caught me. And I thought, as much as I've typed on, as many notes as I've typed out on the book of Job, surely I've added that to, the, uh, to my word processor. And I got to looking at it, and it was Zophran instead of Zophar. So if I call him Zophran, forgive me. But uh, Zophar, uh, he, he, in verses 2 and 3, it's interesting. He's, got his, he's, he's insulted. He feels insulted by Job. He feels like he's been slighted. He's an older man than Job. We've already established that, he and, his, and the other two friends. He feels like listening to Job talk that, Job, you, you're not listening to our wisdom. You, you're not buying into our program. Job, you just, we feel insulted. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer. Job, you're forcing my hand here. And for this, I make haste. I'm quick to speak right after you, you hush, Job. He says in verse 3, I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me uh, to answer. Zophar. We're not far from chapter 2, contextually speaking. As a matter of fact, we're not too far from chapter 1, contextually speaking. The four messengers have come. Job has buried ten children. He's lost all of his wealth. He's lost his health now. Uh, he is at that very low ebb in chapter 3, and then there goes Eliphaz tearing at him. And they've gone back and forth all this time. And Job's had to take it. Now, he has rebutted every one of them. But Zophar's insulted. He's the one that's hurt. Some people have a gift for that, don't they? There you are hurting, and they make it about them. There you are struggling, and they tell a bigger, bare story. There you are, somebody ought to be ministering to you, and then they demand you minister to them. Some people are just gifted with that. That's so far. His ego's been wounded. You're going to tell me I'm wrong? The rest of y'all may be wrong, but I'm not wrong. Uh, may God deliver us uh, from that. Again, he's going to, throughout chapter number 20, you go home and, and study it for yourself, but he's going to say to Job, Job, you're ungodly. It's all, all that there is to it. You're ungodly. 
And I'm going to tell you a few things about ungodly people. Look at verse number four and five. First thing he'll tell him is Job, uh, ungodly people don't live long. That's what he says. And before we even read the verses, I'll, I'll challenge that right now. I know some people that have lived ungodly and have lived into their 90s. Have had a voice internationally. That sounds, that sounds good to brace an argument, but it's false. Watch verse 4 and 5. Knowest thou not that this of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite? But for a moment, you'll look down with me at verses 8 and 9, where he'll say the same. He shall fly away as a dream, and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision of the night. The eye also which saw him shall see him no more. In other words, he's here today, he's gone tomorrow. Neither shall his place any more behold him. He says the ungodly won't last long. Their lives do not last long. But biblically, that won't wash, will it? It just won't hold up even biblically. The ungodly don't live long. Of course, we immediately want to ask the question, who was it then that Noah preached to for over 100 years? He preached to a generation of people that God reprobated. He reprobated the old, the middle-aged, and the young alike. Job preached to them. Some of them live well up into their years, and so it is. I, I, think, um, I think what we grapple with as believers is not that the wicked die young. or I don't think we, we buy into that. I don't think you buy into that. I know I don't buy into that. But I think what we do grapple with sometimes is the godly that die young. Why is that? Let me give you three men. If you'll jot their names back uh, down and read their biographies or anything written about them, you'll marvel at how God used them. All three men died at 29. I was thinking about them today. David Brainerd, the most noted missionary to the Native American Indians. David Brainerd. Robert Murray McShane from Dundee, Scotland. God turned Dundee, Scotland upside down, used one young man to preach. It was like being in the holy place or the holy of holies. And then, of course, there was Jim Elliott. You ladies are familiar with Elizabeth Elliott. As a matter of fact, I read Elizabeth Elliott quotes almost daily. And uh, God took her husband home. Some of the native people he went to evangelize killed him and four others in their mission team. Elizabeth Elliot went there as a missionary then to win the same people unto the Lord. I think we would grapple with that more than we would uh, the other side of it. Notice what he says in verse number 18, then in verse number 23. He says to, to Job, he says, the ungodly do not enjoy life. I almost want to take issue with that right now, too. The ungodly don't enjoy life, really? We got four drug houses in the Troy community. They party every night, seems like. And they like it. Seem to. They keep the rest of us up. They do what they want to. They seem to get away scot-free. Don't care about their neighbors. If you want to visit some of that, we'll invite you down one night. Look at chapter number 20. It seems to say the ungodly do not enjoy life. He says, Job, you can't enjoy your life because you're ungodly. That's the way it goes for the ungodly. Verse number 18 
That which he labored for shall he restore and shall not swallow it down. In other words, he'll have to give it up. He'll have to give it away. According to his substance shall the restitution be. He shall not rejoice therein. Verse number 23 says, When he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. He's saying, Job, the, the, the ungodly can't enjoy their food. They can't eat it. They can't enjoy their money. They can't spend it. They can't enjoy their home. It's taken from them. They can't enjoy their family either. They can't seem to enjoy anything. And Job, you're not able to enjoy your children because of your ungodliness, because of your sin and your health and your wealth and so on and so forth. You've lost it all because of your sin. The truth of the matter is, is that the ungodly do enjoy their lives. Even the Bible will give testimony that there's pleasure in sin. It just don't last forever. And there is pleasure in sin. The Word of God gives testimony to it. Of course, you and I are living in a day and in a part of the world where sin is celebrated. It is flaunted in our face. The LGB, what's the rest of it? GQ? What is it? LGB, quit laughing at me. TQ for the trans people. Yeah. Is that right? I'm glad my hearing's not good. What'd you say, Jay? Well, you know as well as I, they're trying to push that at us every day, every day in media, whether it be aired on a television set or in social media, this is thrown at us every day. It's flaunted before us every day. There was a particular matter that some of us were discussing back years ago, Brother Doug Jones, Brother Ronnie Barefield. Brother Ronnie's son, Kevin, and I, we went to Memphis. And we went to the uh, sound and audio place that a number of us were using back in those days to buy CDs and cassette tapes uh, from. And then Brother Doug's always liked to eat at the Piccadilly. He used to like to eat at Morrison's until they sold out and moved. And the Piccadilly. And we'd find an excuse to go to the Piccadilly in Memphis so Brother Doug, so we could go and eat with Brother Doug. We were talking about a particular sin that seemed like... Uh, Seemed like young people were offended when we preachers would preach on it. And Kevin, at that time, was, a, was in his upper teens. And he said, fellas, I understand. I understand this bothers y'all. But he said, far as our generation, we see it every day. And we've been desensitized, and it just doesn't offend us like it seems to offend you. Even Sin City, their, their slogan is, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But that's a lie. It doesn't stay in Vegas. You know what sin will do? Sin will leave a mark on your conscience. Sin will leave a mark on your mind. Sin will leave a mark on your life. I know people in their 50s and 60s still haunted by things they did in their teenage years, in their 20s and in their 30s. So Las Vegas and the whole outfit is lying to us. Look at verses 24 and 25. Zophar says to Job, he says, the ungodly don't die happy. Verse 24 and 25, he shall flee from the iron weapon, and the bow of steel shall strike him through. It is drawn and cometh out of the body. Yea, the glittering sword cometh out of his gall. Terrors are upon him. So far believes the terrors of death are going to torment the ungodly. So therefore he believes 
that um, Job will die this way, a horrible death. In verses 28 and 29, he says, The wicked do not leave an inheritance for the children. We know that to be wrong. 28 and 29, The increase of his house shall depart, and his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion of a wicked man from God and the heritage appointed unto him by God. There's story after story of where men who lived for themselves and lived in sin were their children after his death or his wife's death, whichever one departed last, uh, were children, tied them up in courts, fighting over what inheritance was there. Job's friends of the mindset that godly living brings comfort and brings riches. I love how Warren Wearsby addressed that. He said, if comfort and wealth are evidences of holiness, then our Lord was not holy, for he had little earthly comfort and wealth, and he died a terrible death on the cross. You know the problem with buying into that kind of mentality that, that comfort and ease comes along with living for God is you'll begin to labor and chase after uh, the blessings of God, what we perceive, what you may perceive to be the blessings of God. I shared this up at First Baptist uh, there at Potts Camp last week. Donald and Denise and I were there on Wednesday night. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5. I want to show you something. We could all, we could all stand tonight and testify. A bunch of us testified Sunday, right? We could st- stand and testify as to living in the Bible Belt, um, coming to a good church. Many of us testified to that Sunday. Um, God blessing our homes and our lives. Uh, and more times than not, we're talking about material blessings when we're talking about those type blessings, right? I, I saw, if you saw it, uh, you'll remember it well. I, week before last, I saw a video of where a pastor on foreign soil was run out of his home and grown men were beating him with a stick. Various of them, various men had sticks and they would hit him across his back, across his legs. And he was moving, trying to escape them. Then he went back in the house, and a man went up in the house after him. We think we're blessed, but listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, the Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you we are blessed people but now jesus said that pastor across the waters that he's a blessed man it's amazing we might ought to rethink some of this look if you will job chapter number 21 so far has, has made his statements, made his accusations against Job. And now here Job is going to respond to Zophar and his claims. And I want you to notice in verses 1 uh, through 6, let's read them in a hurry. The Bible says, but Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech and let this be your consolation. Suffer me, or in other words, allow me uh, that I may speak. And after that I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint to man... And if it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled? Mark me and be astonished and lay your hand upon your mouth. Even when I remember, I am afraid and trembling taketh hold on my flesh. Here's Job's complaint. He says, if you'll allow me to speak, when I get finished, you go ahead 
Um, you go ahead and, and you continue to mock me, if you will. Again, where he should have been met with understanding and, and sympathy, he's being mocked, he feels. And I feel the same way. In verse number four, this is interesting. Job didn't send out any telegrams. He didn't make any phone calls. He asked no one to visit him. Watch what he says here in verse number four. As for me, is my complaint to man? Did I ask for you to show up? Did I ask for you to come find me? Did I ask you to criticize me? I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God when I came to this ash heap. You came to me complaining. I didn't come to you, and I didn't ask you to come to me. It's amazing how that works itself out in our lives sometimes. Again, here's Zophar putting his two cents worth in. He says, as for me, it's my complaint to man. And if it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled? In verse number five, he says, mark me and be astonished. And lay your hand upon your mouth. He says, mark me. Those two words means look at me. He says, look at me so far. Look at me. I can't believe when you look at me, you're not astonished. You know what I've been through. You know what I'm facing. You see that I'm hurting. And yet you continue to batter me. It's amazing. They were talking at Job. You know that, don't you? They weren't talking to him. They were talking at him. No compassion, nothing. Let's go through this in a hurry. The bulk of this chapter, there's Job's challenge. He challenges Zophar's claims, especially 7 to 15, verses 7 to 15. And what Job's going to do is systematically he'll dismantle Zophar's um, accusations. Look with me at verse number 7. He's going to speak to the power of the wicked. Verse number 7, wherefore do the wicked live? Um, become old, yea, they are mighty in power. He says the ungodly, they do have power. He said, you said they don't. You say I'm powerless because I'm ungodly. But he said, look about you so far. Look at the world. The ungodly do have power. They do have sway. They do have influence. If there was a generation living in America that knows that to be so, it's our generation. Politicians, I don't care if they're Republicans or if they're Democrats or Independents. Celebrities, I don't care if they live in Los Angeles or they live in New York City. It seems that everybody blindly follows them and all that they are spewing in these days. And it seems like their voice carries more weight than the Word of God does. Matter of fact, you say what the Word of God says and somebody will mock you for it. So he speaks to him about the power of the wicked. He said they do have power so far. In verse number 8, he talks about their lives being prolonged. Verse number 8, their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. What he's saying is, is these that you're saying die young, they have children, then their children have children, then their children's children have children, and they still sit in their power and live their lives. Verse number 9, he says in verse number 9, their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Verse number 9, they sit behind their gates. They sit in their luxury and they are never challenged. Verse number 10, he talks about their possessions. He says, their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. Here Job is, he has no possessions. Came from a worship service, just he and God had it all taken from him, stripped from him. 
And now here the wicked are living their lives and continue to prosper. He talks about in verse number 11, the posterity of the wicked. Watch verse 11. He says, they send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They send forth their little ones. There's no fear for their children's safety, though Job's have been taken from him. Verse number 12, the pleasures of the wicked. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. The sins of the wicked are many and they rejoice in it. It's what he's saying. Verse number 13, he says, you've got it all wrong so far. He talks about the prosperity of the wicked. Verse number 13, they spend their days in wealth. And in a moment, go down to the grave. What he's saying is they spend their days in prosperity. When they leave this walk of life, it'd be the equivalent of them laying down at night, going to sleep gently, peacefully in their sleep. Verse 14, 15, the philosophy of the wicked. Verses 14 and 15, Therefore they say unto God, depart from us. For we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? Why do people reject God? It's right here. Same reason Pharaoh did in Exodus chapter number 5 and verse number 2. Moses has come to entreat for the people of God. And he said that God sent me. He said, let his people go. And Pharaoh in Exodus 5, verse number 2 said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And here Job spells it out. Why do the wicked live the way they live? It's because they choose to live that way. They want to live that way. He speaks of their contempt, their pride. Look at verse 14. He said, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us. No God for me. That's a problem that we see about us in this country. I referred to it a bit earlier. No God for me. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Nobody's going to be Lord over me. Nobody. I'll not bow to someone as my master. Good luck with that. In verse number 14, notice their willful ignorance. Verse number 14, for we desire not the knowledge of thy way. In Pontotoc County, everybody's been saved ten times, and they at least have one grandmother on one side or the other that was a Pentecostal preacher. But if you get right down the brass tacks of it, they don't want to hear the Word of God. It's easier to go to the juke joint on Saturday night and come home tipsy and not have to feel bad about it if you don't put some preaching on me on Sunday. Matter of fact, if they own a Bible, they'll put it out of sight. They don't want you inviting them to church. Church represents God. It represents the principles of the Word of God. They don't want any of that. They are willfully ignorant. Did you know that Jesus said that in the last days, it'd be like it was in the days of no? They were willfully ignorant. They choose not to know. You can tell them the truth. They don't care. They don't care what the facts are. They, they don't. They just don't care. Look at verse number 15. You'll notice how, how foolish they are in their independence. Look at verse number 15. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit would we have if we pray unto Him? Now, we're about in the same shape in Baptist church. Now, I want you to listen to me just a second. Now, you, you can tune this out. You can do it. You can throw a songbook at me. It don't matter. It, I really don't care. 
I've been in this fight for about two years or so myself. I'm not turning my back on a friend. I've had some friends been ripped up one side and down the other and pushed out of fellowship in northeast Mississippi. I don't care uh, what anybody thinks about me. When I come out in the 90s, when I started preaching in the 90s, there would be people that would literally say, well, I'm not going to get in on that shouting. I'm not testifying in the church service. I'm not raising a hand. I don't want folk to think I'm a Pentecostal. I didn't give a flip then. I don't give a flip now. If I get my hand there, you call me that. Help yourself. Matter of fact, I was introduced a lot of times in the 90s as a Baptist, and I always straightened it out. I'm a Baptist. Matter of fact, there was a young man that visited our church once, then he wanted to sit down in the church study and, and ask me why I believe what I believed. He turned around and told one of my children when he left, he said, I'll tell you about your daddy. At least he can tell me why he believes what he believes. He finds every bit of it in the Bible. And he said, I couldn't argue with him on any point. Do you know what we're dodging now? We can't call God God anymore. As a matter of fact, if you say that God is sovereign, you know how you get labeled? You get labeled as a Calvinist these days. And then they'll go beyond that and label you as a hyper-Calvinist, a fatalist. And what they're trying to say is you don't believe people can be saved. That's what they're saying. But I'm going to tell you something. You mark this down. God is God, and beside him there is none other. There's not a, a, there's not a drop of rain that has fallen today that didn't hit its target. God is God. And our problem is, just like the lost people in the Baptist church, we don't want somebody laying claims to every area of our life. That's our problem. We want to be Lord. We want to be boss. We want to be chief. That's part of our problem today. But uh, notice Job, we'll just read these verses. He challenges Zophar's claims. In verses 16 to 21, he says, What you're saying, Zophar, is mere fantasy. 16 through 21, the Bible says this, Lo, their God is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How oft is the candle of the wicked put out, and how oft cometh their destruction upon them? God distributeth sorrows in his anger. They are a stubble before the wind and his chaff that the storm carrieth away. God layeth up his iniquity for his children. He rewardeth them, and he shall know it. His eyes shall see his destruction, and he shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what pleasure hath he in his house after him when the number of his months is cut off in the midst? And he's dealing with deferred punishment. If God wants to punish a father for his sin, he don't have to wait to punish his great-grandchild. That's what Job's saying. If God gets ready to touch a man, he'll touch a man in the hour. He decides to touch him. He'll judge him right where and right when he decides to judge him. Verses 22 to 26, Job attests to universal facts. Look at verse number 22. Um, he, he begins telling, he tells so far here in verse number 22, it's impossible for you to predict God's actions. Verse 22, shall any teach God knowledge, seeing he judgeth those that are high? Then you'll notice verse 23 through 26. This is what he's going to say in these verses. He already said it a time or two in the book of Job, but he's going to say, all alike die. 
but not all die alike. Now, we're all going to die. Jesus don't come back for us. Every one of us. But none of us will die alike. 23 to 26. One dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in his bitterness of, so, of his soul, and never eateth with pleasure. They shall lie down like the dust, and the worms shall cover them. Verse 27 through 34, I want to read them. We won't have time to unpack these verses, and we've not taken time to unpack most of these verses. I'm trying to give you a broad sweep of it all. But uh, Job's going to draw his conclusion, 27 to 34. We'll read these verses, and what he's going to say is, so far, your claims are empty and they're false, 27 to 34. Here's what, he, here's what he says. Behold, I know your thoughts and the devices which you wrongfully imagine against me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? And where are the dwelling places of the wicked? Have you not asked them that go by the way? And do you not know their tokens? That the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Who shall declare his way to his face? And who shall repay him what he hath done? Yet shall he be brought to the grave and shall remain in the tomb. The clods of the valley shall be sweet unto him. And every man shall draw after him as there are innumerable before him. How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood. Now remember, what we're, now remember what we're looking at here in the book of Job. These three friends are trying to tell Job, if you'd have just been living right, doing right, you'd have never incurred all this, uh, all this that you're facing. But the truth of the matter is, we've already learned from the book of Job that sometimes there's just no explanation for suffering. Just no way to explain it. I came across the testimony of a man that uh, his wife had prayed for his soul. The ladies' group at their church had prayed for his soul. Um, he, had, he had problems with gambling. But he was saved. And after he was saved, God gave him a, a heart uh, for his church family. And he learned on one Sunday evening, he learned that There was a family in the church, a young mother and young father. Both of them had been laid off from their jobs. And there was a financial need in their lives, in their their home. And so he spoke to his wife about it and said, you know, we've put some money back. And I really feel it to be of the Lord that I go get X amount of dollars and take take it to the family. Try to help them in their time of need. And as he left with that piece of money... She rejoiced in her heart because just a few months ago he would have been gambling that money away. She was proud of him. Not very long passed until she received news that her husband never made it to the family's house. The money never got there. Um, A drunk driver crossed over into his side of the street, hit him head on, and killed him. Now listen to me. You don't understand that, and I don't either. None of us understand sufferings like that. And we can try to do like Job's three friends and put everybody in some box and throw blanket statements over them. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes you go through things, and I don't know why you do. And I face things, and you don't know why I have to, and vice versa. 
We live in a sin-cursed world. God will assign purpose to whatever you face. He will assign a purpose to it. And he will get honor unto himself out of his own children. Here's what we do know. When we don't know about what may be going on around us, we do know that God is right. God will always do right. We also must know that when we don't understand, we just simply trust it to the wisdom of God who does understand. Practically in the meantime, may we rejoice in every day of life that God grants us, child of God. May we rejoice in the blessings that we have about us. There's no comparison from one Christian to the other. There's no competition from one Christian home to another Christian home that will ruin a Christian walk. But we just rest in God's provision for our lives. And when somebody like a Zophar or an Eliphaz or a Bildad tries to give their advice, their counsel, you let it go in one ear and pick up speed and go right back out the other and keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's stand with this missing prayer. Thank you for your time.